Welcome to Notes from the Electronic Cottage. I'm Jim Campbell. Though we're still far from completely being past COVID, expanding vaccination levels have made it possible to ease many travel restrictions. And along with the increase of heat and humidity, the arrival of increasing number of visitors reminds us that it's summer in Maine. That provides an opportunity to poke around in the Electronic Cottage archives to select some episodes that may still be very relevant whether to visitors from outside of the area or to regular listeners who might have missed them the first time around. So, put your feet up and, we hope, enjoy this Electronic Cottage Encore. Welcome to Notes from the Electronic Cottage. I'm Jim Campbell. The name Sidney Powell may ring a bell for those who follow the news. Ms. Powell was one of the folks who most stridently claimed that there were boatloads of election frauds during the last presidential election and that Mr. Trump actually won that election, and by a big margin. She famously claimed that Dominion Voting Systems, a maker of electronic voting machines, had conspired to generate more Biden votes than Trump votes and that Dominion had developed their technology originally to help keep politicians in Venezuela in power. Dominion did not take those very false claims calmly. In fact, the company sued Ms. Powell for $1.3 billion, claiming that she defamed the company and caused it, quote, irreparable loss. So, what was Ms. Powell's defense against that suit? Her lawyers, in a motion to dismiss the case, stated that, quote, no reasonable person, end quote, would take her claims to be statements of fact. That's odd, since those claims seem to be taken as facts by a lot of people who invaded the Capitol on January 6th. It will be interesting to see how this case plays out. Over in a different court, we heard echoes of the same argument, this time from Apple Computer, which was being sued by a fellow named David Andino, claiming that he had bought songs from Apple in the iTunes store and later discovered those songs could be removed from iTunes and thus he would no longer have access to them. He stated that if he'd known he was not actually buying those songs, but only renting access to them, he wouldn't have made the purchases. One of the arguments that Apple made in trying to get that lawsuit dismissed was, you guessed it, that, quote, no reasonable consumer would believe, end quote, that songs that a user purchased would remain on the iTunes store forever. The court, however, was not having any of it, saying in its ruling on the motion for dismissal that, quote, Apple contends that no reasonable consumer would believe that purchased content would remain on the iTunes platform indefinitely. But in common usage, the term buy means to acquire possession over something. End quote. It certainly does. And as we've mentioned on programs in the past, lots of people do think that they're actually buying an electronic file, whether a book or a movie or a song, because, well, the site they're getting it from uses words like quote, buy, and quote, purchase, when what the very fine print probably says is that the user is actually renting 
or is granted a license to use whatever that digital product is. So, why don't sites that are selling electronic files like songs or books simply say clearly that what we users are buying is not the product itself, but a right to use the product, rather than owning it in the dictionary meaning of the word? One obvious reason is that, like David Iandino, a lot of people wouldn't pay to just rent something if they knew that's what they were doing. But a less obvious but more economically powerful reason, at least in the case of music, is that Apple, or whoever, pays a different and lower royalty to copyright holders if they sell a song than if they're streaming a song. So it's to the vendor's advantage to report to copyright owners that their users are actually buying a song, but to the vendor's advantage to only be granting a license to actually listen to the song to the actual consumers. This may seem a little two-faced, is possibly illegal false advertising, and may be violating copyright agreements. But hey, money makes the world go round, at least for big tech companies. For us mere mortals, you know, the quote, reasonable consumers Apple was referring to, who wouldn't actually believe that they really bought a product that they just purchased online, we are wise to understand that no matter what Apple or Google or Amazon may say in big letters on a website offering electronic products for, quote, sale, the fact is those products are not for sale, and the ins and outs of not really owning something that we pay for can be pretty depressing. Consider, for example, the situation of Matthew Price. He had purchased almost $25,000 worth of materials from and through the Apple App Store over the years. For some reason, not specified by Apple, Apple disabled his Apple ID account, without which he couldn't access much of the material, the movies, the music, the apps that he had purchased since an Apple ID account is needed to access those materials. He, on behalf of the class of users in similar circumstances, and the lawsuit cites a good number of them, has filed a class action suit against Apple. And Apple is not the only company getting sued. Amazon is on the receiving end of a couple of lawsuits alleging, quote, false advertising, and dealing with pretty much the same issue as the Apple suits. Bottom line, if you choose to purchase books or music or movies or anything else that's digital content, read the fine print very carefully. We're betting that whatever the buying options may appear to be on the ordering page, the fact is that you will not actually own what you purchase. You still may decide to make the purchase, but it will be a knowledgeable choice. And if you fire up your Kindle and find out that the copy of 1984 that you bought and downloaded has disappeared, which, by the way, did happen to many Kindle users, you will at least know that that kind of stuff is still possible. Meanwhile, it's only fair to mention that Apple is also doing something that may give users of iPhones and iPads a bit more control over how they're tracked around the web. iOS 14.5 has now been released, and it will require all apps that come from parties other than Apple to ask users, quote, do you want to allow this app to track your activity across other companies' apps and websites? End quote. 
And, miracle of miracles, one possible answer is no. Several companies, such as Facebook, are complying with this new requirement, but they're providing a screen before the user gets to the screen that allows the user to choose yes or no. That intermediate screen basically says that if you say no, you're screwing small companies that depend on targeted advertising and offer you free services on the web. The hope is that some users will choose yes, and many may choose to do so. The important point here is that users are making a choice, a choice they have not had before, and that whatever choice a user makes, that is a good thing. It's also a good thing that Apple and Amazon are having to defend their sometimes misleading actions and policies in court, and we'll do our best to ensure that, quote, reasonable consumers, in other words, us, have an opportunity to understand exactly what we are purchasing and what we're not. Right here on future editions of Notes from the Electronic Cottage. <laughs>